0: Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray in Jesus' name that on this day when we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, the person, the third person of the Trinity, living within every believer and empowering and giving birth to your church, Lord, let this be a genuine Pentecost Sunday for us, that we might again encounter the power of the Spirit that makes us capable to be your witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the very ends of the earth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank uh, those who had a hand in preparing uh, the, the barn for us this morning. This is amazing. Uh, well done. I can't believe the transformation that's happened here. So uh, it's absolutely beautiful, and so much hard work went into it. So thanks a lot, guys. Uh, Daniel and others that were helping out deserve special appreciation for the gift of air conditioning that they provided in abundance for us this morning. We were really worried about it just being so hot people would be passing out, but they've rectified that situation. So thanks. Awesome job. So <laughs> well, today is the day of Pentecost, and this is the day when Christians all over the world celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. What we read in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. So I want to make sure that none of us takes for granted what we're saying about this day. So listen up. The gift of the Holy Spirit means that the very person and presence of God now takes up residence in the life of the born-again, baptized believer. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is so all-pervasive, so saturating, so immersive, so defining that this is how Jesus himself describes it. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So think about it, all right? Jesus promised that the God who created the universe would reside within every Christian. His presence in us has the power to transform our lives with, to, with such effectiveness that we mirror, we mirror, reflect back to Him, His holiness, His joy, His love, and His victory. And we do need that holiness and that joy and love and victory today living in what is becoming a very post-Christian North America. More than ever before, we need that gift of the Spirit. You know, in a recent and much-talked-about article in First Things, and I bet some of you here have read this article, Aaron Wren said that since 2014, there's been a shift in the culture. Said uh, prior to uh, 1995, we were living in positive world where Christianity conveyed positive social standing on you. You you were uh, you you got you know you got Attaboys if you went to church and and you know when, if you were selling insurance in a in a community, the first thing they told you was make sure you find a church, you know that kind of thing because it gave social. Social credit and gravitas to you. Then from 1995 until 2014, we moved into what he called uh, neutral world. You know, we just lost our brother Tim Keller. It's it's really just heartbreaking because he had so much power and influence as an apologist and as a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. And in that neutral world period, that 20-year period essentially, from nineteen ninety five to two thousand and fourteen, Tim Keller was sort of, he was the guy for neutral world, where Christianity didn't give you any positive status, it didn't give you any negative status. You know, it's kind of like you do your thing, we'll do our thing. And 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 Keller was so powerful in speaking into that culture. But Aaron Wren said from like 2014. To the present, something has dramatically shifted, and he says that we now live in what he calls negative world. And let me just read what he says here about negative world. Society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. Being known as a Christian is a social negative, particularly in the elite domains of society. Christian morality is expressly repudiated and seen as a threat to the public good and the new public moral order. Subscribing to Christian moral views or violating the secular moral order brings negative consequences. So let me give you a, an example of negative world. This just happened this past week. And I was, just, I was listening to a podcast. You might know who John Stone Street is. He's an Anglican deacon. He's also with the Colson uh, uh, Fellowship, so, uh, uh, the Colson Center. And in this podcast... He was recounting uh, that a certain Major League Baseball team had invited a, a group uh, to be specially recognized at, at one of their upcoming games, and this group specializing, specializes in mocking and blaspheming Christianity. That's their that's their shtick. That's their gig. And uh, and so uh, there was an outcry from, particularly from uh, Roman Catholics, but there was an outcry from Christians about them, you know, spending a, a whole evening at the baseball game recognizing this crowd, and and so they rescinded that. Well, the backlash was so immediate and so virulent that they said, "Oh, we're so sorry. Come on back." And this is what John Stone Street said in, in in reference to that. And I think he's exactly right. But I want to give you this as a, as an illustration because I think. Maybe some of us don't realize the cultural shift that's just happened. He says, we've reached a moment when it is no longer the world saying, we disagree with you, and our voices need to be heard. Now it is, we are the good guys, and you are the bad guys. And we are allowed to do and say anything we want to specifically, to specifically target Christianity at any level, listen, as the real problem in the world that needs to be stamped out. That's negative world. That's the world that we have moved into. Some of us don't feel that yet, but it is actually where we find ourselves in this cultural moment. And so with that in mind, so our concern this this Pentecost morning is where can we find the guidance and the courage and the perseverance to live, listen, consistently and joyfully, joyfully for Jesus Christ in negative world, in a world that is becoming openly hostile to traditional biblical Christianity, where can we find that? You know, are we are we going to feel defeated? Are we going to feel anxious? Are we going to just be mad? Are we going to just be angry boomers? Don't be me. Don't be an angry grumpy boomer. I'm on. The, I'm just about was Gen X. I just want you to know that. I'm only. I'm. I'm sort of boomer adjacent. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So here's the good news. Here's the good news for us this morning. The resources and, the, and convictions that the church depended upon to live in the negative world of first century Roman culture are exactly what we need to live faithfully in the negative world of post-Christian North America. So the resources we needed to live in a pre-Christian negative world Are the same resources we need to live in a post-Christian negative world, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit is the the gift of the Spirit is the critical and decisive event that enabled that first church to live faithfully and joyfully, joyfully. So here's what the Scriptures assure us of today: If you are filled, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the equipment. You are equipped. Whatever may come our way to live as joyful, victorious Christians in negative world. And the first thing that the Bible reveals about the coming of the Spirit is that that those who received that gift on Pentecost Sunday received a supernatural, please listen, supernatural boldness. And if you wanted to write something down or put it on your iPad or whatever we do, Uh, you would put down supernatural boldness as one of the gifts we receive. The city of Jerusalem is the place in this story where just 53 days previous to this event, the civil and religious authorities arrested and tortured and publicly executed Jesus of Nazareth. Then, um, excuse me, so they left him bleeding on a cross, hanging high, and in the pre-Christian world, that was the Roman Empire's way of saying, don't try this at home. Don't try this at home. This is what we do to those who challenge the system. Don't try this at home. And every one of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, understood that message clearly. In fact, Peter, the leader of the disciples, publicly denied him three times because he was so cowed so intimidated by the force of the establishment the religious political establishment he was terrified he denied him he denied him he was so terrified there's this young woman this this little serving girl in a courtyard and that he was scared of her the big fisherman yeah right the wimpy fisherman in that moment but the failed, that failed leader is the same man that we see standing before the gathered crowd on Pentecost Sunday proclaiming the risen Jesus Christ. How can this be the same guy? Where does that kind of boldness come from? How can a person, who, how can a person publicly stand for Jesus when that stand, and this is important for us this morning, is not merely unpopular, but in some places of the world right this minute, northern Nigeria comes to mind, can get you killed? Jesus actually told them that he would provide them with that exact same kind of boldness. Hear this. This is Acts 1.8. We just heard it read. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Jesus said we would be given power when the Spirit comes upon us so much that we would be his witnesses before an unbelieving word. You know what the Greek word for witness is. You do. You know what it is. Some of you could say it. It's martyr. Martyros. I will give you power, even to the point of witnessing, even unto the point of death. This is so important because most of us, and, you know, I think sometimes ministers are particularly guilty of this, most of us want to be liked and approved of. We want to be approved of. We want to fit in at work. We want to fit in with our families. We want to fit in at school. We want to fit in in our neighborhood and with our peers. But following Jesus in a post-Christian negative world, listen, means that by definition you and I are not going to fit in. We, can, we will love, the. you know, God so loved the world, we are filled with his presence, we will so love the world but we will not fit into the world. We will not fit in. And beloved, in negative world, if you are raising your children to fit in, and so many generations of parents did, you are essentially raising them not to follow Jesus. Can I say things like that here? <laughs> All right. is, is Kevin going to get a call? Am I, Is the People's, people's Warden going to get a call? <laughs> so how can we keep from from wimping out. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness is the natural consequence. I want to tell you a story that we should all be aware of. This coming week on June 3rd, we're going to commemorate the martyrs of Uganda. On June 3rd in 1886, 32 32 spirit-filled Anglican and Catholic young men, pages of the court of King Mwanga of Buganda, were burned to death at Namugongo. because of their refusal to renounce their Christian faith. And in the following months, many other Christians throughout that country died by spear or fire for their faith. The Namugongo martyrdoms, however, produced a result that was entirely opposite of King Mwanga's intentions. Those young men, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, walked to their deaths singing hymns. Can you imagine that? And verbally, audibly praying for those who were killing them. Who has that kind of power? Where does that come from? Where's that boldness come from? It's supernatural. I don't have that in my life, in my natural self. That has to come from some other source. Their boldness so inspired the bystanders that many began to seek instruction from the remaining Christians about how to become followers of Jesus. Within a few years, that original handful of converts had multiplied many times and spread far beyond the royal court. Uganda today has the largest percentage of professing Christians of any nation in Africa. But let me tell you why this this boldness is specifically applicable to the Church of the Lamb. Because shortly after those events, a young man was born named Simeon Insubambi. A Ugandan Angli- he became a Ugandan Anglican pastor who went to Gahini, Rwanda, and God used him in Rwanda as the key preacher to spark the, what is called the East African Revival of the 1920s and 1930s. Actually, in some ways, it still continues to this day. And African bishops from Rwanda who who came out of that that revival and African bishops from Uganda that had come to faith because of what was going on there, now in 2001 gave pastoral oversight to an emerging Anglican renewal movement in the United States of America. And that Anglican renewal movement became the, uh, the ACNA. And you and I, in this place this morning, can tra- we are descendants. You and I are the spiritual offspring of that movement that can trace its roots back to those courageous, spirit-filled Ugandan martyrs who had boldness to proclaim Jesus. Praise God. That's your family tree. Isn't that amazing? Be filled with the Spirit, and you will have courage and boldness. So being filled with the Spirit also gives us supernatural clarity. If you want to write something down, write that down. Supernatural clarity. Whatever you can say about Peter's Pentecost sermon, you have to acknowledge that it was clear. There was no equivocation, there was no temporizing, it was pointed, it was indeed confrontational, and yet it was pleading and inviting. He clearly proclaimed the good news about Jesus. This is what it says in verse 38, Acts 2:38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He clearly calls out, he also clearly calls out their sin. Remember that this is the same Peter who was so afraid that he denied Jesus three times. Now listen to what he says on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you, did you hear that, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. So the Holy Spirit grants us the clarity to call sin, sin. One of the things that many of us struggle with in this generation is how will we know what to say to those that we love around us about our faith. When when we are filled with the Spirit, He gives us the right thing to say. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't have to wring our hands And Worry about getting our script right some of us are old enough to remember you know you memorizing if you were a campus crusade person I was a campus crusade person. Sorry young life. I know that's the Anglican thing But I was campus crusade and we memorized you know the four spiritual laws to share the four spiritual we had a script Well, here's the good news We don't have to worry about memorizing the script or getting our script right. Jesus says this. He says in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, and when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and the authorities and before supervisors and heads of human resources and magistrates, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So finally, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be fruit. We're going to have fruit. We see men and women and boys and girls come to faith when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work Christ has given us to do, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Welcome to the ends of the earth, right here, in, right here in outside of uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia. 3,000 men in that pre-Christian crowd became believers on the day of Pentecost. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do? You know, it wasn't Peter's persuasive words. It wasn't even his boldness and his clarity in proclaiming Jesus Christ. Here, here it is. It was God the Holy Spirit who was at work in the heart of the listeners. They were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. Who did that? Did Peter do that? No, Peter didn't do that. Peter didn't have direct access to their heart, but God the Holy Spirit did. We can feel so defeated. We can feel so helpless. Brothers and sisters, you are not on your own. God God didn't like, you didn't get saved and then, uh, you know, God dropped you off on the gospel bus and said, I'll be back at 3 o'clock to pick you up. You know, he's, he's here with us. Jesus, Jesus promised, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. He is with us in the person of his Holy Spirit. And he is at work in hearts that seem too hard for us to penetrate. Some of us have children who have walked away from the Lord. and the, and i've said this here before but they they don't know what the answer is but they're absolutely certain it's not jesus and as parents your heart breaks you feel like you're walking around with a rock in your chest and and it's like what can we do what did we do well if it was left to us we could despair but it's not left to us the holy spirit is at work jesus is still seeking lost sheep You are not on your own. You're not on your own. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Thank you, Jesus, that we're not alone, that you're still touching the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And it could happen even today. It might even happen in this place. We don't have to have the script. We have to have the spirit, though. We can feel so hopeless and defeated. Let me tell you something. The plausibility framework for those devout Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost in 33 AD, listen, those people had no place reserved for the idea of a crucified Messiah. No Jew in that crowd was thinking, oh, Israel's Messiah would be hung on a tree and crucified and rise again on the third day. That's definitely what's going to happen. Nobody thought that thought. It wasn't plausible to anybody there. And yet 3,000 men heard that word, received Christ, and were baptized. The farthest thing from any of their minds was that would happen to their Messiah. Connecting the heart to the gospel is what the Holy Spirit does. He cuts people to the heart with the gospel. So here's the the question. All this begs this question, and let's let's close with this. Are we operating this morning at Church of the Lamb in the power of the Holy Spirit as we engage our post-Christian culture? If not, let me invite you to... uh, Here's the thing, as we see through Scripture, that those same disciples who were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost... You know, they are filled with the spirit of again. Again, Peter gets released from prison. You know, uh, it's Rhoda who meets uh, Peter at the door after he's released miraculously from prison. She thinks it's his ghost. She doesn't let him in. You know, he comes to the house where the disciples are. She just leaves him standing there in the front, you know, with the door shut in his face. And they let him in and and they begin to give praise to God for this amazing deliverance. And those same disciples are filled again with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled repeatedly with the Holy Spirit because evidently we leak. We leak. (laughs) You might have leaked in the last week. So how do we... How do we seek to be filled again? Well, first of all, we need to know this, that God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It is God's promise to all believers, and it is his command. We hear this again in Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul writes to the Ephesians, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled. And those those you, you Greek scholars out there know that that is sort of an imperfect tense, continually be filled. Over and over again, it is God's command, be filled with the Spirit. And God loves to give us the things that he's promised to give us. You know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. He said, if you then who are evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask Him, we have to be willing to surrender our lives totally and irrevocably to our Lord Jesus Christ because He admonishes us so that we can have room in our lives for the fullness of the Spirit. You know what it says in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual worship, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then as we ask God for this good gift, we trust that he gives it, and then we walk moment by moment in the power of the Spirit when we surrender our desires, our plans, and our ambitions to God on a daily basis, on a moment-to-moment basis. If we seek our own way, if we seek our own agendas, we are not going to have room for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul writes this in Galatians, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So where can I do that? Where could I find this infilling that I need? I want it again. Um, when I was a... Uh, I'd been ordained for several years, many years, and the bishop found out I'd never been confirmed by an Anglican bishop. I'd been confirmed growing up as a Methodist. I'd never been confirmed by an Anglican bishop. And he said, oh, no, you've got to be confirmed. You, you should have been confirmed before you ordained. And I'm thinking, well, I got, you know, I got confirmed by my pastor growing up. What, what's wrong with that? And it kind of came to me, well, look, if, if somebody wants to lay on hands and pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'll do that every week. You know, bishop, if you want to do that again, do that again. But we can do that this morning as we come to the Lord's table right here. We can ask him, Lord Jesus, fill me again with your presence, your power, that I might have supernatural boldness, that I would have clarity in saying the the good news and in calling sin, sin in my own life and in the world around me, and then give me the good fruit of seeing men and women and boys and girls coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we can pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit again right here at the Lord's table. In fact, let's begin right now. Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name that this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit that came with such power and joy would fill our hearts today, Lord. Uh, I pray for, if, if nothing else, that as we come to the Lord's table and as we fellowship together after this service, that we would be filled with a new sense of joy as we encounter the world around us so that our, our joy in you would be power. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so, Lord, we pray for that coming out of this moment today. Fill us anew with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.